Welcome back to The Lighthouse Project. This podcast is presented to you by Children of Scientology, a collaborative effort which aims to be informative about the issues which have affected the youngest members of Scientology. In this podcast, we are going to share some details which may be upsetting or disturbing for listeners, specifically content involving sexual assault. We encourage anyone who has been affected by these types of experiences to reach out to a trauma-informed organization in their area. The largest national helpline in the U.S. is RAIN. That's R-A-I-N-N. You can speak with the trained staff member via their free helpline, 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. Joining us today is the beautiful, brilliant, hilarious, third-generation Scientologist, Elizabeth Liz Gale fellow contributor on Aftermath, TikTok queen, and the brilliant author of Confessions of an Ex-Scientologist Pothead. Welcome, Liz. We're so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and working on this podcast with you guys. I heard your book is number one on Amazon New Reads, or is that what it's called? It's number one on Amazon in Scientology books. Awesome. But also ranked on something else, female biographies or what was the other one? On its release day, I was number 48 in women biographies. Yes. I can't even imagine that you're just not running around squealing all day long every day. Have you gotten over the squealing? I might be. I might just be squealing about, (laughs) squealing and skipping around. It's so good. I saw your autograph clip with Nora. That was just (laughs) perfect. It was perfect. It was a big deal. I was excited about it all day because my first book, it's the first time I've ever signed my book. It was amazing. Did you practice? No, I probably should have. I started to think about what my signature should be and then I got all in my head about it and then, (laughs) as you do, they'll all be different and unique, I'm sure. It's perfect. (laughs) We'll have an autograph Um, party. Loving Liz's quizzes. Oh, Liz's Quizzes. Liz's Quizzes. Yeah, that's my book release promo tour. We're doing quizzes every morning with a different guest on my YouTube channel. There are quizzes about Scientology, psychology of cults, different, yeah, fun stuff. They are hilarious, clever, and so informative. I'm learning something every single time I watch it, and that's crazy. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Seriously. Yeah, I love quizzes just generally, but I love it. Like you just pull out some bits and pieces and there's a little bit of a deeper dive that highlights some things. It's always interesting. Yeah. And also fun too. And it's not been done. I haven't seen it around. I think it's people have done thing. little tiny bits of it here and there. And this is really lovely to have a real concentrated, broad, and also lasered in on certain topics. I just think it's super educational and fun at the same time. It can be your other book. I know you already have another book. You can have a quiz book. That'd be fun. Casamarie has a color book. You can have a quiz book. Yes, I would love to have a quiz book. The thing about quizzes is that once you know the answer, then you know the answer. You got to keep them fresh. Got to keep the challenges coming. So let's just jump right into it. In our last episode, we read from the testimony of Jennifer Ferenz, a criminologist at LAPD in forensic science toxicology. Danny Masterson overpowered his victims by causing them to ingest a substance which would incapacitate them so that the jury may hear facts about drugs used to facilitate sexual assault 
and understand more about their symptomology, the prosecution called upon Ferenz, who has 15 years of experience in toxicology. We discussed an array of substances used in the facilitation of sexual assault, shared some facts and statistics on this topic, and talked about methods of prevention, protection, and support for victims. Today, we'll be focusing on the prosecution's case in their closing statements and arguments in this trial. We will highlight some of the details in the transcripts provided by Tony Ortega at the underground bunker from his courtroom notes. We'll be starting with the closing statement by Deputy D.A. Ariel Anson. It all starts with a drink. How many times have you heard the defendant give a drink to an unsuspecting victim? This is what he does. Over the last few weeks, you've learned a lot about the defendant and how he assures he gets what he wants. In this case, there are four victims who testified about similar symptoms. After getting that drink, they start to lose consciousness, then they're raped. When they wake up, they're confused. They're dazed, they're in pain. Vaginal and sometimes anal pain, and sometimes bleeding. The defendant drugs his victims to be in control. He does this to take away their ability to consent. This is not about consent. This is not about a defendant confusing their signals. When he drugs them, he wants to be in control. You don't want to have sex? You don't have a choice. You don't want to have anal sex? You don't have a choice. He makes that choice and he does it over and over. This is also about the defendant getting away with this crime. Because when they wake up, they have partial or full memory loss. So if they go report that, the defendant is able to discredit them. That it was consensual, which is what the defense attorneys in this case have argued over and over. Now, like all predators, he sought out his prey. Most were members of the Church of Scientology, and that makes sense. In Scientology, rape isn't rape. You caused this, and you are never allowed to go to law enforcement. What a better hunting ground. In Scientology, the defendant is a celebrity, and he's untouchable. Now, in order to understand these crimes, it's important to understand their belief in Scientology. It affected the way they thought, the way they waited, and did not report these crimes. In Scientology, they weren't important. He was the upstep. That's what you heard from Claire Headley. That's Scientology law. They guide everything. They're the controlling factor. You must obey those rules. The victims, they can't be victims, and they caused it on themselves. Any complaint filed against the celebrity would be, quote, filed with a yawn, end quote. In other words, that Scientology wouldn't investigate it. This is how they processed it. You could be excommunicated. You could lose your world. This was in the minds of the victims during and after these brutal attacks. You know what's amazing is that this paints such a clear picture. The prosecution in this case understood the experience of these victims. I think that comes through really clearly. They understood the experience of being in Scientology and the difficulty and the challenge and the process that a person might have to go through in order to address this type of crime, which is amazing. And I loved that clarity in what she said about what a better hunting ground. In Scientology, rape isn't rape. You cause this and you are never allowed to go to law enforcement where have we seen this in a court so clearly and so exactly communicated? We haven't seen it. So this is huge for 
the exposure of what they do to cover up these types of crimes. And so back to serendipity of having a retrial that these guys really got to just dial this in with laser guides and adding Claire Headley and in doing it twice, being allowed the leeway of including Scientology so that they could use it and explain it so well. What a blessing. And I don't even believe in blessings, but this is a blessing. I agree. It was frustrating during the first trial to get to the end and realize how little Scientology had been introduced. And so I felt a great sense of momentum that they had covered so much more and that this closing argument was going to be really powerful, being able to introduce so much more Scientology and drugs, the toxicology and all that. Yeah. What a difference one trial makes. There's a couple of things that Deputy DA Ariel Anson mentions in her statement, specifically with regards to handlings in Scientology. In 2016, Jane Doe 3 realizes she's not the only victim. Now she's shocked. She still trusted Scientology, and she sends an email to Ellery Travers, the ethics officer in Scientology. What's important is that the email was sent before she spoke to Jane Doe 1 or Jane Doe 2, and it's all in there. Everything that the defendant did to her disclosed in this email to Ellery before this massive conspiracy got going. So Deputy DA Arrow Anson reads from the email that Jane Doe 3 is talking about how she loves Scientology and knows that it works, but she was abused by Masterson and that he anally raped her. The email recounts the incident in the same terms that she's testified to, that he laughed at her. I had sex with you last night. That's why you're hurting that she felt violated and humiliated, that she was heartbroken and still is, that she spoke with Miranda and Chris Scoggins, that she would be asked to do an ethics handling, and Danny would too, that she got an intense handling that ended up in her going clear, that she ended the relationship, then years later heard about Jane Doe 1. Jane Doe 3 learns about Jane Doe 1 and it breaks her. She stayed quiet and others were hurt. This moment when she learned Scientology was doing nothing and allowed more victims then she spoke to Jane Doe 1, learned about Jane Doe 2, and ultimately makes the decision that she is, for the first time, going to report to law enforcement. So this goes to where the defense was pointing to or alluding to that there was some kind of conspiracy between the Jane Doe's, that it was just like a conspiracy between them. But this makes it clear that's not the case. And it also shows why Jane Doe 3 then went to law enforcement at that particular time. And again, shows her reporting internally within the church. I feel like my return to the Scientology community and my interest in speaking out is absolutely for the same reason, not sexual assault, but just the fact that because I didn't speak out, because I didn't ever share what was happening to me, because I didn't do something about it, that the pattern of behavior continued. And I was so mortified when I discovered that. A couple decades later, this is still happening to kids. This is all still being done. It wasn't just done to me. That was the spark for me. And I was just listening to Jenna Miscavige talking about her recent spark, not the one prior, but I think the one prior was responding to Scientology spokesperson Karen Powell about something. I didn't read the letter, but she wrote some kind of scathing letter to her who was denying disconnection and coerced abortions and things like that. This new spark for her is coming back because Velasca Paris's case might be sent to arbitration. And it just infuriated Jenna so much that she realized she had more work to do. And I just feel like 
it's the same feeling. It's the same shit that you trusted Scientology to handle these things that you thought you were the only one it happened to. But no, that realization, that betrayal and the shame and guilt that you feel because you may have been able to do something about it to prevent this abuse to other kids or other women. It's heavy and motivating. And the reality, I think, is that you could not have done anything about it because you're up against an absolute machine where you didn't have resources. You weren't allowed to report to law enforcement. You believe that you were the only one that was affected by these things. And also, I was thinking about this recently. Do you remember this term like orders of magnitude? Because I always remember just when I was younger and when I was in Scientology, whenever I had a problem with something, I would reflect on this scale of orders of magnitude. And in orders of magnitude kind of scale, you're going to think of the worst case scenario. That might be mass murder, genocide. And I was like, oh, what happened to me? It's just me. And it's not like a bunch of people were murdered. All this structure that's inside Scientology is constantly minimizing crimes that were done to you. It's so difficult to get out of that mind fog of where there's all these things that are put in place to prevent you from thinking outside that box. I do understand what you're saying, Christy, that feeling of guilt and coming back to a situation, realizing that nothing's changed. And it angers a person because we realize, okay, now I can do something and now I need to. So it's motivating. But But when you're a kid, how much can you do in that situation? When I remember looking around me and realizing, oh, they're all in on it. My legal guardian, my mother, every terminal, quote unquote, person that was supposed to be in a position of protection over me all knew about the sexual abuse that I had experienced and no one gave a shit. So it's difficult in that way. It's awful. I had a friend who we hung out after I left the RPF the second time in L.A. with that whole kind of L.A. crew that were all just like homeless and couch surfing. And our parents were either at flag or off somewhere. And we just all. I don't know. Talk about just a bunch of orphans, like real orphans. But we were 14, 15, 16, so old enough to get by. And anyway, I hung out with these kids and then didn't see them for 20 years. And then when I ran into one of the girls and she was like, why didn't you tell me about the Sea Org? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's if you had told me your horror stories about Sea Org, I never would have joined. Why didn't you confide in me? And I just thought back to I was so terrified of losing the few friends I had. I was already in bad standing. I was a freeloader. I was all these things. So I didn't talk about anything. And I was really dissociating after being on the RPF for a year. But just the idea that I could have used my words wasn't even a thought that would have gone through my mind. It was really drilled in to not speak negatively about the Church of Scientology in any aspect of it, whether it's a staff member Sierg member, a Scientologist in good standing. We've seen that thread certainly through this trial as well. Liz, do you have any experiences to this? Does anybody who was raised in Scientology not have an experience? <laughs> I, I laugh, but I, I, I do. I truly do. I knew that there was a history of a generational abuse within my family. And for a long time, I gave Scientology the benefit of the doubt that they were improving this situation for my family. But as I got older and the picture became clearer, Scientology was complicit and my family kept going round and round in circles believing they could help. They could fix the internal drive to harm another human or take advantage of somebody vulnerable, that they could fix this. 
in the perpetrators and then re-release them back into the group. And I'm not really sure how many times a person can do that before they really have to come to the conclusion that it's not working. And when I came to that conclusion finally and realized just how many people were in on it, it was very upsetting. Yes. Because as well, Scientology is the only solution. So as long as people can get more Scientology, then they'll get better. But also, interestingly enough, it's like a sales technique, too, in a way. Oh, if you give us $6,000 for this, such and such. Just recently, a conversation I talked about when I was in my early 20s. I was at this local Scientology mission, and I remember talking to one of the mission holders there, married couple. And I remember telling him, just bawling my eyes out, just really struggling emotionally with trying to manage my emotions about the the sexual abuse that I had experienced as a child. And I was like, I'm still struggling with this. I don't know what to do. It was overwhelming at times. And I was sitting there just bawling my eyes out. And he goes, okay, you know what? Let's do life repair. I'm going to recommend you life repair. And I was just like, oh, what's that? If that's going to help me, then great. Cool. Sign me up. And he was like, that's great. $6,000. And I was like, that is, I had just, my boyfriend and I at the time had each just gone through the Purif and it was $3,000 each. So then in the space of a few months, we would have spent $12,000. Like insane. I just was like, that. this doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I feel like it, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever kind of abuse someone's either dealt out or experienced, it's, oh, it's an opportunity. Oh, you just do this, take this service, and I can wave that, and the, that'll all go away. Monetizing the trauma. It is such an opportunity for there them to exploit the victim and the perpetrator. They get to charge both for their chaplain cycle or handling or whatever service. They're pan-determined. Yeah. pan-determined. They don't discriminate. They don't. <laughs> One of the things that Victoria mentioned in our in this series that we've covered, the perpetrator in her case, he was not a Scientologist. They brought him into Scientology over her allegations. They were like, okay, we'll just audit it out of him. Like, it's so wild. They were doing chaplain cycles over it and all to what end? Just so that, why? Anyways, it's nonsense. It's crazy. And I can only imagine how Jane Doe 3 felt in finding out there were other victims because from what I understand that was a huge part of the reason she went forward the reason that any of this even came to trial in the first place and I think there's something there there's a motivation that happens when you see abuses happening to people around you like you were talking about earlier Christy we've talked before about this it's interesting as a second gen that you grew up were raised this way groomed to think that this was how things were done and didn't really know any differently but when you have children you go, oh, hold on, not okay. It's interesting that your protective mechanism or whatever for others is often so much stronger. Or I don't know, my protective mechanism of myself was strong. I fought back. I argued. I resisted. As much as you can as a child, I ended up on their prison program twice for it. I didn't conform. I was always in trouble. But later as an adult, after all this time, I think I fought harder for others, I think. And so that feeling, I don't know, being responsible for someone else's harm is much heavier than just being harmed because I can just put my TRs in. I can just find the silver lining. Oh, it made me stronger, whatever. But you don't rationalize that with other people somehow, I think. 
It cuts through that gaslighting. Like if you've been gaslit for years, over a period of years, Jane Doe 3, for her, she had that same moment. There was a huge impact on her relationship with Danny Masterson when she saw him verbally abusing another woman in a very sexual manner that was very crude and disgusting. And she was so appalled. So it's one thing when you're receiving abuse and then it's another thing when you see it take place in front of your eyes and you go, okay, I cannot deny that. I see the effect that's had on that other person. This is what's happening to me as well. There is something about that when you hear somebody else's story that relates to your own. It's a confirmation, especially in this situation of this constant gaslighting environment of Scientology where it was always something that you did wrong to pull it in. So you're just wrong the whole entire time. This has been really important for me, seeing other people speak out, because I'm like, they're saying the exact same things that I have experienced. So you go, yes, I'm not making this up. I'm not crazy. This is true. This happened. This continues to happen. I think it's very solidifying. One thing that Deputy DA Ariel Anson mentions in her closing statement she says in 2016 Jane Doe 3 realized that she had kept quiet and Scientology did not take care of the situation she felt guilt she felt responsible she had to take control and report to law enforcement because Scientology wasn't handling it and it makes sense in 2016 she really has this first break with Scientology she finally realized that what they were saying wasn't true and that's why she went to law enforcement. Really powerful. So I'll skip ahead to the rebuttal argument by Deputy DA Reinhold Mueller, which is in response to Cohen's. And he says, from this evidence, it's absolutely obvious and beyond a reasonable doubt that this man drugged these women and he raped them. And he did it to take away their choice. When he takes away their choice, it gives him the opportunity to do what he wants. If he wants anal sex, he'll have it. And that's what he did in each of these cases. By the way, this is not like a spur of the moment thing. It's not like he's suddenly in this situation and they're, no, and he's, I'm just going to finish anyway. No, this is a plan. It is a plan. He had a plan for each one of them. He had to get the drugs, right? He had to think of a way to administer those drugs. He had to put the drug in the drink. He had to get that drink to them. He had to insist that they finish it. And ladies and gentlemen, in all that time, there was an opportunity for him to recognize what he's doing. Each one of those moments I just told you about was an opportunity for him to say, no, I'm not going to do this. This is not right. It was an opportunity each time for him to stop, to recognize the wrongfulness of it. But he went forward with his plan. This was a series of choices, ladies and gentlemen. And when each of these victims came to him, when Jane Doe 2 came to the house, there was a plan for her that she was going to get drugged, that she was going to get raped. There was a plan. When Jane Doe 1 got to the house and she had to stay over, there was a plan. She was going to get a drink. She was going to be drugged. She's going to get sick. And he's going to rape her. With Jane Doe 3, when they went out to dinner at La Poubelle and there was that glass of wine, there was a plan. She was going to get drugged and she was going to get raped. He made this choice ahead of time and he followed through with all of that. Think about it, the steps involved. There was a fork in the road. You put the drug in the drink. That's a fork in the road. 
you think, am I actually going to hand this to the person? As you hand it to them and you see them put it to their lips, there's another fork in the road. You recognize the wrongfulness of it. You could put a stop to it, but he didn't. There's a series of choices and he decides to go all the way. I'm going to drug them and I'm going to rape them. You know what? It's time to hold Mr. Masterson accountable for what he's done. In a moment, you will all have this case. It's going to now essentially be turned over to you. It's coming from us to you. We've handled it up to this point, and it's now going to be yours to deliberate. It's never been easy, but it's important. And there may be some of you, you might think, well, it's been a long time since this happened. Does this really matter at this point? The answer is yes. Absolutely, it matters. It doesn't matter how long it's been. What matters is justice. What matters is consequences for actions. These victims who have come up here to testify, they have had challenges just getting here. It is never easy for a sexual assault victim to disclose some violent things happening to their body to strangers. It's hard. And they have to answer the most detailed, intimate questions. It's hard. They reported their incidents to Scientology, and what happened? They were punished for it. They were told it's their fault. You pulled it in. You must have done something to cause this to happen. When they finally learned they were not alone, that was very impactful for them. It's a moment that changed everything. For Jane Doe three in particular, when she said she found out there were others after her, one before, others after her, she felt that guilt, that responsibility. Why hadn't I come forward sooner? Maybe there might not be other victims. That was a big change for her. It was significant for all of them. Because they weren't just raped. They were drugged and raped by the same man. Nobody signs up to come here and tell the world they've been raped. Nobody signs up for that. And especially if you have a billion-dollar organization retaliating against you for doing so. To suggest, as the defense has, that there are some ulterior motives other than these victims seeking justice, you know what? It's just further blaming of these victims. Because there's no evidence at all to suggest there's any other motive than to seek justice. They were raped, they were punished for it, and they were retaliated against. Scientology told them there's no justice for them. You have the opportunity to show them there is justice for them. It does exist. There were no consequences for Mr. Masterson from this internal church justice. You have the opportunity to show that there are consequences for his actions. They do exist. This is not about women seeking money. They came here to be heard. They sacrificed their dignity, their privacy, and their peace for that prospect of having their voices heard. And I'm hoping you've heard their voices. And they're hoping that their voices will be enough for justice. Based on the evidence in this case, I ask that you give these victims the justice that they are looking for, that you find this defendant guilty of the charges of raping each of these victims, find him guilty, and give them their justice. There is only one verdict in this case, and it is guilty. Thank you. I'm we glad you read that because I wouldn't have made it through. It was hard. It was a lot. Some of those last lines just... Pretty powerful. Yeah, it's visceral because we can all relate to... Scientology told them there's no justice for them, but you have the opportunity to show them there is justice for them. It does exist. We're all here for that exact thing. To be heard and to make sure there's not future victims, if that's in any way possible. 
I loved that he really hit home the Scientology thing. But for me, on a personal note, and just, I guess, on a human note, other victims of sexual violence, they came here to be heard. This is so important. They sacrificed their dignity, their privacy, and their peace for that prospect of having their voices heard. For me, this is what has been important to cover. And I know some of my friends, I'm like, yeah, but we're, we're still covering the Danny Maston trial and drilling down into detail. And they're like, why are you still banging on about that? But for me, this is important. The detail is important. The story is important. Their experiences are important. For me, it was never all about a verdict or a conclusion. It's about the testimonies because I know what it takes to get there. I know how hard that is to fight for years to try and get that opportunity to stand there and say what happened and for them to be able to do that. I'm so grateful. But this is what's been important to me about this entire trial is that their voices are heard. So for him to say that is amazing. I agree. I think it's Maya Angelou that said there's no worse feeling. I'm going to get the quote wrong, but there's nothing worse than having a story untold, a story inside you that's not been told. I just read that in your book. For me, it's really powerful because no matter what happens after to be able to present the truth when you were kept from doing that in the past can be a step toward healing, I think. We see more of these victims having their opportunity to say the story because, as you said, that story still lives on in you. You cannot kill it. You cannot cut that out of you. You cannot carve it out of you. And I know many of us have tried. And so this story lives on in you and it needs to go somewhere. It needs to come out of you in some way. For me, I can't change what happened. I would love to, but I cannot. And the only thing that I can do is to try and figure out how to live on with it. And some of those ways that I'm able to live with it is through advocacy, through filing my police reports, through being proactive in pursuing my case. I'm hoping for justice. It's amazing, incredible just to see the whole trial play out, the information that we've been able to learn about the circumstances, what took place. This is just incredible what the prosecution team was able to do, what we were able to hear of the victims in their testimony, which was not allowed in the first trial, and to have that hope for justice be a possible reality. I think that is exactly your motivation. It's so clear. And I think that's why we are doing this, why we are still talking about Danny Masterson and in the weeds, as people say, or being a think tank is because we want to broadcast this loud and clear. And as Claire Headley was saying when we spoke to her, Scientology not only robs you of justice, but they gag and bind you. And to finally have a voice about these things for these women to finally have a voice for us to finally find our voices around it and just broadcast it and broadcast it in as much detail as is necessary. I just think that's so priceless for us being able to process it finally and maybe begin to put it behind us because we'll know that we've done everything. Yeah. And once the mechanisms of this type of abuse and systematic cover-up and control of this type of abuse comes to light, I think we all can rest a little easier knowing that that shared information out in the real world might protect some more people. Sometimes if you shine a light in those dark corners, you don't have to keep shining a light in those corners over and over again because you've already brought what was there to light. And this is a huge step and the closing arguments were huge. Oh, there's still more work to do. So I get why 
we have to keep having this conversation. It's really incredible to have it not in a forum or chat room or secret Facebook group or whispers. It's incredibly remarkable to see these things being spoken in court and taken seriously and respectfully and with law. What a difference. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And Liz, you made such a good point there that shining a light on things does do a lot to protect other people. I believe that as a society, we can really protect each other by becoming a strong herd. And how do you do that? You got to find the wolves and you got to get them the fuck out of there. Don't let those wolves in to your herd. Don't let those fucking predators continue to exist in your fucking herd. Get them the fuck out. Okay. And I think I said fuck enough. So no, it's just say it again. I don't know. Is that ever going to be enough? One more. But, but and the thing is that what we have, okay, we have things like mandatory reporting. Fantastic. Love that. But where you won't see that level of reporting is inside institutions where there is this cloak of secrecy and silence and protection of the organization above all. And so we will continue to see that in religious organizations that have those mechanisms in place, those fixtures in place, those stigmas in place for the internal members, okay? Because, of course, the statistic in general society, it's around about the 85%, 87% it fluctuates somewhere in there for the incidents of sexual assault that do not get reported. But inside these closed-door institutions, organizations, groups, memberships, religious groups, or whatever it is, I don't think I'm wrong in assuming that percentage of unreported crime is far higher than out in normal society because in schools you have mandatory reporting and that sort of thing. My thing with Scientology in particular is that this is a perfect storm. Deputy DA Ariel Anson says it's the perfect hunting ground for predators. Why is that? Because there's no herd protection. There's no one protecting their members inside there. They are punishing their members when a crime is committed against them. It's an insane environment. These sorts of things will continue. Well, Scientology, as we know, doesn't eliminate predators. They don't eject them from their group, and their handlings of them don't rehabilitate them. And the thing is, they profit from the predator. And when they would finally pull the plug and get rid of them is when they become a liability to them as we're seeing now, is about to happen with Danny Masterson. But until that point, they'll just do damage control, conceal, suppress, gag, punish the victims, not the predator. It's such a dangerous pool. And the fact that they're saying, your only justice is us, and yet you won't get any here. We will not protect you. They would just say that. (laughs) We will not protect you. You could go, okay, bye-bye. I'm leaving then. But no. You're just gagged and dumb and blind and handcuffed. Yeah, and in the analogy of protecting the herd from a wolf, imagine you are in a herd and you see a wolf in sheep's clothing. How insane not to warn the other sheep around you. And it might not, that wolf might not be attacking you then. What are you going to do when all the other wolves run out? It's just very, it's insane to just look the other way in that situation because it's purely dangerous for everybody involved. It's so dangerous. These things are so generalized that it's just an aberration. It's just, he just has past track. He just needs to be handled. He just, whatever. All of these things are just a thing to be handled. And it doesn't really matter whether it's shoplifting, 
the sexual assault, marital affair. It's just all overt and withholds. They generalize everything so much. So they cause this problem that we're having here. I agree. And I think that's also why it never stops happening because they don't stop causing it. <laughs> it's frustrating. Here's the thing as well is that prison sentencing, our court system, convicting people of crimes, this all exists for a reason. And in my view, it's to prevent bodies in the street because some of these crimes are so horrendous that, yeah, I, I understand why you'd feel so strongly about it that you would want to commit a crime against the person that did that to you. In Scientology, like you were saying, Christy, everything's the same. Everything's on the equal playing field. There's no heinous crime except for the things that are considered high crime specifically by Scientology, and they're really wrapped around protection of Scientology. There was nothing ever discussed within my upbringing that child sexual abuse was a crime. In fact, in high crimes, it mentions felony, but then it's compared to arson and murder. So that's where really what you're thinking is you just so it's just not covered in there. There's so much scripture about the second dynamic, which revolves around sex and family, sex as procreation. Things are discussed like out to D. Out to D is something that you do that's unethical, but that's considered to be like cheating or you're doing something like heavy petting while you're in the Sea Org and you're supposed to be married and et cetera. But it just was not a thing that was discussed or understood or anything like that. And that's a huge part of the protection for children, especially, is you need to educate them about these things. That's number one. The other thing is creating sufficient alarm systems. So, Liz, like what you were saying, that wolf in sheep's clothing, the members really need to kick them out and not to just allow that person to just pretend, oh, I'm just a Scientologist. And then we just don't do anything. And then they continue to harm people within our group. So... Yeah, there's alarm systems that you can develop. So you can develop your own physical alarm system, which is referred to as a shark cage. A particular psychologist has created this system called the shark cage metaphor, which is a really great thing. And I refer to that. I think that we'll dive into that more in detail another time. But two things, it goes over the boundaries that should be in place around a person. Now, as an adult, you would develop those, or as you grow, you would develop those for yourself, your own personal alarm system. But prior to that, your parents or your caregivers should be the people that create a sound shark cage for you. And this would keep out the sharks. This would protect you. And in Scientology, the shark cage was absolutely obliterated completely. So absolutely. There you have it. There's I feel no like, protection. I feel like Scientology is full of sharks. It's just Sharkville. And the cage is only around the church itself. It's not around its members. You're not being protected. You're actually being exposed to a school of sharks, especially because a child is not a child. And so you're fair game for all these scenarios with adults. But the cage is protecting the church only, in my opinion. I agree. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Obviously, the topic is serious nature, but to be able to speak with another person who was born and raised in a situation like we were, to have you join us in these conversations and to go over this transcript of the closing statements, which are so important in this trial. And yeah, we just want to thank you for coming along with us and co-hosting today. Thank you so much for having me. Anything I can do to help further the message and educate about just 
how deep the rabbit hole goes with coercion and Scientology and victim shaming and blaming. It's really important. And you ladies, some of my personal favorites. So thank you so much for having me. Can I say, will you promise to come back before you go so we can go through your book and also your story? But I loved running all this through your filter today, but I want more. I would be honored. Thank you all for sharing your stories and for being vulnerable and honest, sharing your truth and experiences. This has been lots of great information, but a lot of details that could be really hard to digest, especially if you are a survivor of abuse as well. So please remember to check in with yourselves. We're just so happy and appreciative of anyone that is listening because this is really meant to be a part of community. And we're here all together. So we're very appreciative as you're a part of our village. So thank you so much. 